Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and the show, which began now almost two years ago, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, and the library of all of the episodes can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk. And of course, they can also be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is now also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers channel. So please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. For those listeners who are, I say, in SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, watch out for my upcoming free caregiver distress recovery challenge helping caregivers find a path to bringing much-needed self-care into their daily routine. It features empathy, my registered trademark, which is also the basis of a self-care commitment letter and teaches strategies from our proprietary framework for self-care, self-kindness, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness that will help you feel recharged and re-energized as you face life's challenges. Family members who are considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. And my latest book, Dignity and Respect, Are Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences. And I'm honored that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book. So I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. I'm hoping to have an audio version of the book in the near future. Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Seniors Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continue bringing listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm thrilled that Olive Community Services, a nonprofit organization in Fullerton, California, is a Seniors Straight Talk sponsor. Olive Community Services is dedicated to providing culturally appropriate services to the diverse senior population. And before we begin, I always have to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a colleague, a friend, and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. And for today's guest, I'm very proud to introduce Jody Holtzman, who's the founder and senior managing partner of Longevity Venture Advisors, where he works with innovative entrepreneurs, venture investors, public companies, and nonprofit organizations to successfully leverage business and investment opportunities in what is now the $8.3 trillion longevity economy. 
He's a recognized expert and thought leader on health innovation and products and services relevant to the aging population and the opportunities and challenges presented by this growing demographic. In honor of his contributions, he was recognized as a top 50 influencer in aging by Next Avenue NPR. And Jody has been helping companies grow by developing and implementing competitive strategies and achieving their strategic market goals over the course of three decades. Previously, Jody was AARP's Senior Vice President of Thought Leadership and Market Innovation, where he conceived and built the first program to spark innovation in the market that benefits people over 50. In this role, he envisioned and developed the concept and market category of the longevity economy. So with that, Jody, and there's much more to say, but the entire podcast would be taken up with all of the accolades that I would have to really say to really give people a, a full appreciation of what you bring to this space. So thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. My pleasure. So I think it would be helpful um, as we start out to talk about what the longevity economy means. I'm sure there are people who wonder what that, what that term is really all about and how you came up with it. So thanks so much, Phyllis, for, for having me. Um, the phrase longevity economy uh, kind of grew out of the work that my team and I were doing around 2009, 2010. And at that time, uh, we were trying to encourage the market to create an explosion of products and services that would benefit older people. There were many products and services, but this was also coinciding with the time of um, digital health and health startups. And all of these companies in the health space in particular, um, whether they wanted to or not, because of the medical issues they were focused on led them to be dealing increasingly uh, to support the needs of, of, of older folks. Um, so the market uh, at that time was uh, capturing all sorts of names. They were calling it the silver market, the boomer market, uh, the baby boomer market, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the golden market, all these kinds of things. And we didn't want to use that phrase, but we also were trying to get the market to appreciate the opportunities because we had a mission purpose in doing so, which was to improve the quality of life for all people as they, as they age. Um, so uh, a colleague of mine on, on the team, uh, Jeff Michalka, came up with this phrase, the longevity economy. And it was like, oh, that, well, that's interesting because an economy is actually bigger than an individual market. And my graduate work was in political economy. And so the wheels started turning. And we, we also, at the same time, being at AARP, you know, uh, from an advocacy standpoint, you know, we're dealing with the reality uh, in both political parties where there's a common wisdom 
uh, that all too often leads to proposals to uh, cut Social Security, to cut Medicare, these large entitlement programs that benefit older Americans. And AARP at the time, of course, and still does, uh, and, and I and my team, we're pushing back against this notion that we can't as a society afford all these old people. And so I would say to people, you know, after they would make some version of that claim, well, where's your evidence? You're making an economic claim, but where's your economic evidence? And everybody, regardless of political party, would always say the same thing. Well, look at Medicare and Social Security, right. blah, blah, blah. They're unsustainable. And um, the epiphany, the light going off, was when I realized they were making an economic claim, we as a society can't afford something, in this case, supporting older, older Americans, uh, but their evidence was not economic data. It was not economics. It was a function of how these two national programs are designed. And so I started thinking, well, you know, you could design those programs to be self-sustaining, may not be politically viable, but from a design standpoint, you could do it. But it begged then the question, well, what are the economics? And so we hired Oxford Economics to do an economic impact analysis on the assumption that this market, this longevity economy is solely driven by the consumer spending of older people. And to, as, as in your intro, when they push the buttons over three different times, uh, most recently it was the economists group that, that did the analysis, but they came up with the $8.3 trillion, which was actually a trillion dollars more than the first time we did it back in uh, 2012. So um, what's coming to mind as you're saying all of this is some of it I, I, is based on, like you say, on numbers, although it's not based on data, it's based on numbers, right? Where there's a difference. But it could also just be based on this, this um, ageist attitude we have about older people and their usefulness. Uh, ab absolutely. Uh, the, the cultural... Um, assumptions, the cultural norms around aging, um, you know, just permeate the, these, these views, these viewpoints. When, when I first got on stage at a uh, annual conference of the National Venture Capital uh, Association, where I was trying to point out that there was only one large, humongous growth market that exists, and it's the market of older people, and they, it's too big to ignore, Every person that got on stage at that, that first year in 2012, um, they could not prevent, and half of them were over 50, they could not prevent themselves from telling an old joke. Right. It was it just as, as, as a uh, anthropologist or a sociologist to stand back and observe this behavior was in fact culturally fascinating. And right. it just showed it, you know, it, it was just evidence for your, for your point about, you know, rampant ageism. Right. And, and, I, and I think that that sometimes maybe even prevents people from looking at the data. It's just an assumption. That, but this I mean, is the fast. Yeah, go ahead. Th 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 this is the fascinating thing 
in the in those 10 years the marketplace including major companies public companies fortune 500 companies s&p 500 companies uh down to entrepreneurs and venture capitalists and private equity and um uh, uh, uh brokers uh to um etfs to um, real estate REITs, um, you name the asset class and the market recognizes the value and potential value of this demographic shift. And what is fascinating is that as often happens, the market mu moves much more, mu moves faster than the culture. And, you know, in organizations, they always say you can change the strategy every day, but, you know, the, the, the culture will eat it for lunch. Right. And, and, and because it's embedded and the white blood cells come out, you know, to defeat change. Right. And, and so that is, is very much true when it comes to how society views older people. But in the marketplace... There's been a 180 turn to the point that, you know, you now you can now invest in an ETF called the longevity economy that was started right. by the Hartford. Right. Um, and there's at, at least three or four others. You can go to your broker, whether it's Schwab or UBS, Fidel, whoever it is, um, Morgan Stanley, whoever it is. They all have portfolios that they think will benefit from this demographic wave. And it cuts across industries. Right. So to me, this is kind of one of the things that raises the question, how long will it be before the culture caps, catches up with where the market already is? And will continue to be because the opportunities are just going to grow. Well, you and I have we've had a couple of lengthy conversations, I'm happy to say. And you talked about what percentage of the um, spending is the result uh, or is by this demographic. What percentage of the spending of our economy does, is, is coming from this demographic? Right. So, so people over 50, and you know, when I first did the analysis, it was boomers, basically the youngest boomers to uh, you know, the greatest generation. Um, uh, that population is about somewhere between 115 and 120 million people, making it about a third of the country and maybe a little more, about 35%. And the uh, economic analysis we did, the economic impact analysis that different vendors have done showed that a population of just 35% of Americans actually drive 42 to 44% of total US GDP. And they also drive over 50% of total consumer spending. So going back to this notion of we can't afford all these old people, you have what other segment of the population generates a positive disproportionate impact? There right. is none. 
So right. it's not like we can't afford all these old people. We can't afford not to have all these old people because they're spending money. And by doing so, it's having multiplier effects that, you know, uh, benefit all of, you know, society of, and people of all generations. Right. Which is, you know, what we had talked about yesterday was that there are so many goods, services, products, um, that that are created to serve this segment of the population, which in and of itself is part of that economy. So in general terms, the, the general economy is being is benefiting from this this longevity economy. So it's not only what the the people in that age range spend, that demographic, but it's the services that support those people, whether it's home care agencies or pharmaceutical companies or, you know, whatever, whatever I mean, kinds of devices way. or whatever, technology. I mean, I mean, think of it this way. The U.S. the U.S. GDP, total U.S. GDP, I think it's about 21 trillion, uh, maybe a little more. Um, and here you have the longevity economy as a part of that. That's 8.3 trillion. Right. Well, if you took out that 8.3 trillion, um, the fact is there would be about 90 million fewer jobs. Uh, there'd be trillions of dollars less in uh, tax revenue, which also goes to get spent to benefit people of all generations. Right. Um, and uh, we'd be, you know, uh, uh, smaller than, uh, than China, which is now number two with a GDP of, I think, around 16 trillion, 17 trillion. So, um, you know, right now, the longevity economy is the third largest standalone economy in the world uh, and about four trillion more than uh, Japanese GDP. So then in, in reality, maybe we should be looking at encouraging people to live longer lives because it's a benefit to our society. And even those people that are in nursing homes that are frail, that are infirm, that do have uh, several comorbidities. Um, isn't there a way, I think I asked you this yesterday, isn't there a way to take a portion of that, those trillions and um, allocate it towards care? And I don't mean necessarily Medicare and Medicaid. I don't know how it would be structured. I'm just, you know, thinking, why aren't we looking at that? Well, well, first, first of all, to look at the, uh, the longevity economy to begin with, from a uh, you know Washington D.C. public policy standpoint, re requires a, a, a completely different approach to accounting and uh, all of looking at all of the buckets and boxes that spending is is in, and you really have to step back and whiteboard uh, the thing. But money is fungible. And, um, you know, there, there are trillions and trillions of dollars in tax revenue that are generated by this economic activity. Um, and how that tax revenue is allocated is the job of Congress to, you know, to decide on, on what we're, we're going to spend on. So, that, yes, there are ways to do it. And there's nothing wrong in what you're suggesting. The political likelihood of that, I think, is a different 
conversation, and I'm not particularly optimistic about it, which is why I get back to looking at the marketplace, um, because the market's orientation is to leverage all its assets. Right. Culturally and policy-wise, we don't ask that question. How, but that is the question we need to, to, to ask, because to your point about contributions of older people as they live longer, we have stale, uh, outdated, and regimented views Correct. of what those people can do. I mean, just think about the phrase, you know, act your age. Right. right. Well, what the hell does that mean? It's like <laughs> what it says is these are activities that you can only do if you're younger than whatever that that line line is. Right. No, it should be, you know, act, you know, where you can act. Right. Act as you feel your age. Act as you feel. Act. And, and, and age has nothing to do with it. This is the point. Right. Exactly. It's, it's that age should. I don't get up in the morning and say, wow. I'm 67 and X months today. What can I do? <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, it's like, I'm, no, I'm not going to play basketball. I, mean, I still play basketball. Right. No, I'm not going to pull out my guitars and, and crank up the amp to 11, yeah. like, you know, spinal tap. No, you know, I don't I know whose mind acts like that. You feel how you feel and you do what you need to do and you do what you want to do. You know, it's interesting because in my book, Dignity and Respect, in the last chapter, I talk about ageism. And in the last couple of chapters, I give examples of people who have gone back to school for their master's and PhDs in their 70s and and their 80s. I mean, wasn't it uh, President George Bush who... um, who jumped out of a plane at 90 something or other parachute. I think he was 88 when he first did it. Herbert Walker Bush. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, 41. Again, when he was, was 90 or something or 92. Right. He did. I I have a story of a a drummer, a woman drummer, Viola Davis, who was drumming until she was over a hundred years of age. And um, so I, I, let me, let me just interrupt you there. That's really interesting because I went to a, uh, a, a new senior living uh, place in uh, Japan a couple of years ago, uh, the WHO was having a, uh, a conference on um, uh, health, aging and innovation. And while we were there, we, uh, several of us went to uh, a couple of different uh, senior living uh, facilities. And this was a brand new one and it was started by an architect. So it was like very bright, lots of natural light, lots of common areas and one of the, and a lot of self-generated activities where simply the means to do them were available. And one of the things that people always did was get into a drumming circle. Oh, that's- And because, because they had just out in, uh, out in the open, you know, congas and bongos and different types of percussion. So now, interestingly enough, I don't know the reason behind why they did that or had that. Um, it could have been for rhythm, for music, whatever. But it's also a tremendous upper body exercise. And I don't know that people think about it in that way. But Viola Davis credits her longevity and her strength to drumming because it, it takes tremendous upper body strength arm strength, physical strength in your core and your chest in order to do that. But 
just talking about what you can do at a certain age and what you can't do at a certain age. So interestingly enough, um, I've had this conversation with many people. Several years ago, I took up ballroom dancing. And um, neither of my children can really, uh, my adult children can really, um, can really deal with it. They couldn't deal with it. I asked them several times why they couldn't deal with it. I never really got an answer. But I really do believe that there was a part of them that felt that that's not something I should be doing at that age. Even though mm -hmm. some of my inspiration came from people who were 10 years my senior who had just taken up ballroom dancing or Argentine tango, whatever it was. So uh, there are expectations. I, I, I you know, uh, I, I think um, I, I, I have this, this um, recurring uh, thematic in, in a lot of my thinking and, and presentations uh, on, uh, on, around aging. And, and they come down to uh, uh, happiness and dreams. And, um, you know, I was speaking at a Nick uh, conference and, you know, I said, you know, when it comes to senior living, especially nursing homes, forget even and even assisted living, the, the image is not about happiness. No, the image absolutely. is about a warehouse, a warehouse where you go to die. Right. And, and, and so not that there isn't happiness in these places. And I said that, you know, to them, um, but it, it's, I do think, and this gets back to the ageism is that younger people and even people in their fifties, you know, the children of older people, um, I, I don't think that they grasp the importance of evolving happiness Oh, and what, and, and what happiness looks like you know and how does it or does it not change i still get happiness from the things i've gotten happiness about my, my entire life right. and I, then I, i'm introduced to new things but it's not that i'm older it's that i just was introduced to a new thing right. and i'm happy about that and the same thing with dreams it's like as we get older uh, you know, I, I, my favorite line uh, of uh, that Bruce Springsteen ever wrote is in the the song "The River," and it, it's a is a dream a lie if it don't come true, or is it something worse? Right. This notion uh, of unfulfilled dreams, and um, you know, as we get older, we're very much aware of all the things we haven't achieved, and we have dreams about doing those and those dreams are bring us happiness and the few things we can check off the bucket list those bring us happiness too and these are two things that i just think are so missing in the entire conversation around aging but also in terms of the longevity economy because the products and services that uh, are currently you know being provided are being viewed in narrow boxes, Absolutely. and it's true. I mean, yeah. You know, mar markets are 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 cylindrical, many right. of them. Although you know, things do cut across horizontally, um, but it's missing the opportunity. So Absolutely. you know, we have three million, four million people in various types of assisted living, nursing homes, uh, maybe independent living, but it's it's way less than ten million. And, uh, and most people live in their house, their apartments where they've lived 
for years. And so when we think about, well, what are the solutions of that? Well, care is moving to the home. Right. Well, but it's not just a medical hospital in the home model, although for some people that is precisely what would right. benefit them and benefit the healthcare system because it's a, a lower cost of care. Um, but you have to start thinking about not even the old view of uh, home and community-based services, because those two are in these little boxes. Correct. It requires a framework of once you have a recognition that health is a function of a geography, well, then it's life in that geography. And in some geographies, life is good. And usually those are more upper income or more money available to the people in that, in that geography. And in other places, you can have isolation, you know, on the Upper West Side of somebody who never gets out of their apartment, right. even though they're surrounded by thousands and thousands you know, you know, it's of, interesting of people. You, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I say many times people move to nursing home environments because they're isolated in their homes and they're, they don't have contact, social contact, and they need contact, but they move into nursing homes where they're surrounded by people and isolated and they don't have social contacts. Not in all, not for everybody, but a good percentage of people think of the hallmarks of what a nursing home looks like, a traditional nursing home. Um, in many cases, that, that's the case. And I think that, um, I think people forget when you talk about happiness and dreams that people's, um, people's need to have, people's needs need to be satisfied at every level the same way at no matter, no matter your age. So you still have needs for a connection, for autonomy, for independence, for self-actualization. It's not just, uh, you know, a biological need. It's not just safety and, and, um, and safety goes across, um, you know, many different levels. But um, yeah. I, I think that people don't, just what you say, people don't think that. They think that when you come to a certain age, you're kind of finished with that. You don't have those needs anymore and they don't need to be met or only your basic needs need to be met. You know, I've, I've uh, uh, participated over the last several years uh, in, in multiple debates, uh, you know, um, focused on, on the concept of longevity. And the debate comes down to, uh, you know, longevity in the uh, years in the life or life in the years. Right. And I'm a life, and I'm a life in the years guy. And the interesting thing is, is that despite all of the science about extending life, whether it's genetics or what it, whatever it is, in the, in the near to medium term, life is going to be extended by improving the quality of life. I agree. And the more that people are happy, the more that their dreams are front and center and objects of discussion, of fantasy and realization. And the more that you live in communities where even if people live in, in little boxes, as Malvina Reynolds said in the famous song, um, you know, there are ways to create social connection. I just read this article 
about weak relationships and the importance of what they called weak relationships. And it's not family relationships. It's the weak relationship of passing somebody in the, in the hall and holding the door and smiling Correct. and feeling good right. and getting a jolt of whatever the hormones are that make you feel good. Absolutely. Um, it, 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 it's the, it's the, uh, the weak relationships of not even an actual interaction, but seeing a kid and doing something that just makes you smile and feel warm and good, which is why I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of age, uh, 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 segregation. Right. Um, you know, so all of these things, well, those are things that entrepreneurs, companies, uh, and nonprofits for sure, um, can start to think about when they, when they think this broader, uh, this broader concept of that your health is a function of where you live. Right. And how do you transform where you live, starting with the reality of that place? Great place to, uh, for us to take a break. And so we'll be right back on Senior Straight Talk. And you and I have had a couple of conversations. The first one was two hours. The second one was an hour and a half. And I, I, I don't want this to go on that long, but I, I know that we could just go on forever, but we need to take a break at this point. So we'll be right back on Senior Straight Talk. All of Community Services is a 501c3 that provides culturally appropriate services to seniors, their family, and the community. Through their interactive programs, Olive engages participants physically and mentally with a focus on building strength, mobility, and mental health. To learn more, get involved, or make a donation, visit olivecs.org. Together, let's live, learn, and thrive. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk, where I'm having such a lively conversation with Jody Holtzman. It's, it's just a pleasure to, to be able to have this kind of dialogue with somebody of his thought stature, I'll say. Um, and you mentioned something in the first segment about evolving happiness. And I had come up with this term, with this way of talking about older people uh, a few months ago. You know, I also used to refer to it as our future selves. But to me, 
you know, we talk about our future selves and that's something outside of us. It's down the road. It's, it's, it's really not something that's part of us. Even if we think about the future, we don't see ourselves as an older person in that future. So I've thought, wouldn't it be better if we thought of ourselves as emerging or evolving elders? And if we could somehow instill that in younger people, then it's an active process that lives inside of us. And maybe there's not so much anathema when we get there or anathema towards other older people. Yeah, you know, I can, I can see the benefit of that. At, you know, at the same time, I guess I, I have, <laughs> when it comes to markets, you have to a- answer three questions. You know, what are you going to sell? Who are you going to sell it to? Why should anybody buy from you and not the other guy? So I fully appreciate the importance of segmentation. With a lot of these other issues, uh, from market standpoint, I I appreciate the segmentation. From a cultural and and social standpoint, I reject it. And I reject it because, and, and you know, we were talking about, you know, the other. Uh, I don't want old people to be viewed as the other. Right. You know, I, I, you know, I want to, if I'm at a bar uh, and I'm talking to somebody in their 20s or 30s or 40, whatever, but younger than me by 20 plus years, um, I don't want them thinking about how old am I. I want them thinking, uh, did they agree or disagree with what I said? Did I say something of interest? Uh, did I prompt some thinking? Uh, was I funny? Did I make them laugh or smile? This and that. And to me, that is ageless. And yeah. th- th- those reactions, th- those, those attributes. And to me, it's, it's that. It, it's when that happens that you start to break down ageism and you just start to accept the fact that people have a variety of likes and dislikes and abilities to pursue them. Right. And it's not a function of age necessarily. Now, there are those in the field of aging that say, you know, oh, you can't put off aging. Da, 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 da. Well, there's no question. There are segments of people who have health issues, who have physical uh, limitations, who, you know, have mobility uh, challenges, this and that. Well, there is a need for solutions, you know, for, for those realities. Ab- absolutely. And are many of them a function of age? For sure, right? At a certain point, the body breaks down, right? And you right. can get knees and hips, uh, you know, uh, you can even get lungs, you can get a heart, but, you know, we're not at the point of, of bionic people, although I do believe that will eventually happen, yes, um, you know, but um, the pushback to, to, to that, it, it, to me, is because a lot, a lot of times in, in the critique, it's that, well, you're not recognizing low-income people or, or people in poverty who have these other needs. And it's like, no, that's just another reality. And obviously we have to have solutions for it, but that's not a function of age. That's no. not, that, that, that's, that, that's a function of how we treat the poorer people in this society. Correct. And, and talk about geography. It's a function of where they live. Yeah. What services are available and what foods are available. And, and a lot which of- is true, which is true. 
right. which is true for, for everybody in that community of all ages. Correct. Right. So, um, so, uh, you know, to me, it's like, so where are the solutions? What are the things needed to help people live a better quality of life? Well, there are going to be some things like robots. I'm on the advisory board of a, an Israeli startup called Intuition Robotics that has a robotic companion called LEQ that people say, well, no, you need to have a human being. Well, there aren't enough human beings to go around as caregivers. So is this the second best choice? Okay, it's the second best choice. But you know what? Give me the alternative solution and make it a reality. Well, that's a that's a bigger challenge. So I do see, you know, robotics coming in. I, I you know, I'm a Trekkie, you know, as in Star Trek. Right. And I want to put people on the bridge of the enterprise, right. the spaceship, the starship of, of, of the series. And why? Because at your fingertips, you can talk. And the number of things that can happen, when that happens, there is zero uh, friction in the technology-human interface. Right. And that's when people of all capabilities, assuming they have voice, uh, you know, can do things. But we're going to be able to tap brains and thoughts at, to do the same, the same thing. And again, age isn't in it. Correct. So it, just as you said that, uh, there was an article I read not too long ago about a gentleman who had a stroke. Um, I don't remember what age he is now, but I believe he had a stroke after a car accident at a, in his 20s, if I remember correctly. And he can't speak. And he was part of this experiment where they... Um, they uh, developed this technology and implanted it. Um, they, I think they implanted it or they were electrodes they implanted. And when he thinks words, um, they, they're spoken. And it's just mm -hmm. thinking. He, he can't speak. Um, but when he thinks words, and of course they're perfecting it as time goes on, he hasn't been able to verbally communicate with anybody for number of years. And this, of course, is groundbreaking. And look at what Stephen Hawking what was able it? to do for, for years and years and years with technology that isn't even close to what can be done starting today. Correct. So uh, many years ago, there was a little device that was invented called a speaking valve. My specialty originally was working with people who are ventilator dependent and who have traits. It's my passion. And um, there's a little device that you can put on the edge of a tracheostomy tube or even in line if somebody's on a ventilator. And it was event invented by someone who was on a ventilator. And it's called a Passimur valve, or some people call it a speaking valve. And it allows the air to come in and come out through the upper airway so the person can talk. So before yeah. that was, so that has, as you say, that has nothing to do with age. That is right. ageless. Right. But transformational for that individual. C correct. Absolutely. And so right. 
there are so many of these initiatives, like you say, and maybe they are for older people. I do have an issue about the robotics with the older people, but we won't go there. I just don't want, I just don't want that to, because I believe there are enough people to care for people. If we embrace them, train them, um, we need to address. Pay them. Pay them. And there's another component that I, I've been talking about for quite some time, which is, especially in this country, the diversity of this country. Of course, now other countries are experiencing this as well. But the diversity of the senior population in terms of the countries that people come from and some, sometimes the amount of English that they speak. And then you have caregivers from other areas that also have different cultural um, uh, adherences, we'll say, or uh, language ability or accents, and there's a huge mismatch. And so I believe that's an important area that really is not being addressed and it needs to be addressed. Because See, I, I, there are people, if they were paid properly, it, I mean, really, somebody would be happy to probably work with a person rather than work at McDonald's, possibly, I mean, not everybody, and, right, fulfill hamburger orders or whatever orders they are, uh, to work with people in a different capacity if they were paid, you know. Right. So, and, and, here, and here, too, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I just don't think it'll happen fast enough, given the need. Right. And, and I just don't think it'll fill the gap, but just realistically. Uh, even if all of a sudden you doubled the, the salaries of, of caregivers uh, who were in-home companions and nurses, etc. Um, although I also believe that, uh, you know, uh, many of them uh, potentially can do better, uh, you know, on their own on uh, online markets like CareLinks, as opposed to necessarily working through a home uh, company, home, I you know, agree. home services I, uh, I, company, which ha which obviously has to take its cut to to stay in in business. So you know, if you go on CareLinks, you see people they put down what they're asking, you know, and there's many people twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven dollars an hour. Um, you know, and most people are not getting that. That's $10 more than probably the average, uh, you know. But, you know, when we talk about technology and the development of technology, so uh, driverless cars are coming down the pike. And, and one of the reasons that would be so great is for older people. Uh, but somebody would have to accompany an older person still if they had to go someplace to an appointment or whatever. So while in and of itself, it seems like a great idea, you're now also creating a, a, an area where you're going to need, you know, there's going to be a void in terms of companions. And there too, you're going to have segmentation. So you're going to have some people who are perfectly capable of doing curb to door, door to curb, uh, and other people that need assistance and they need assistance past the door to get them settled, resettled back in the house or out of the house or, or, or whatever. So there's no question. It's, it, it's, it's a mix. Um, I do think autonomous vehicles, I, I've, you know, in, on and off uh, been involved with them since 2012 uh, at Google uh, where um, AARP board members were actually taking rides in the first generation 
of of those uh, of those vehicles, which looked like they had washing machines on the top of them. <laughs> right. um, but um, but they've come a long way for sure. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the whole robotics thing, I, I think it, it, it's, I think it's going to be amazing. I, I think it's going to be amazing what, what they can do. And, and the fact is, is that the studies are already in that they have, can have, and, and LEQ and intuition robotics has already, you know, proven this. It can have an incredibly beneficial impact on loneliness and isolation. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, as, as well as cog- cognitive, uh, uh, not development, but cognitive function. Uh, challenge. Fun- function. Right, function. Right, right. yeah. Right. No, ab- absolutely. I, I think it's, uh, there are many ways to look at it. I had seen something, I think it was about a year and a half ago. It was a wonderful device. I don't remember it now, and I don't remember the company. But um, it was a device um, so it was a kind of artificial intelligence. It wasn't like a care, a care person or somebody that could help with that, but you could call it upon it and it could bring you something. So it could bring you the iPad or dial the iPad or so, you know, um, kind of um, activities that could help your activities of daily living, but not actually participating in, in the care aspect of it. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie uh, Robot and Frank with Frank Langella? No, I haven't. So that is the ultimate, to me, the ultimate um, <clears throat> robot older person movie. And it takes place, place a little bit in the future. Classic case of uh, a guy, widower, or, or you don't know really, but he's on his own in his house. And uh, one of the boomer children drives up and delivers a robot that can help with household chores. And Frank, you know, just is dismissive. Absolutely not. And the crux of it is, is that when he finally saw that it, he could align it with his own personal purpose, all of a sudden he loved that thing. Mm-hmm. And he was ready to do all sorts of things with it and have it do things for him. But it really came down to that recognition. It couldn't be imposed. It had to be something where with experience, he started to see that, oh, yeah, I could see how I could benefit from this. And I won't tell you anymore because then it'll be spoiled. Well, that's like, that's like anything, though. Now, there was a, um, a little robot. Oh, my. I think. I think it was called Harrow. It's it's a little Japanese uh, robot, and there were uh, what I read was that there were people who were adopting this in their homes, older people who were lonely, and this thing could smile and it could cry, so it was giving you some social interaction, and they were kind of adopting this robot, kind of like as a as a grandchild type of uh, situation, it's because yeah, it's called Par. Are you talking about Paro? It's Paro. I said Haro. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a baby seal, but it goes for six five six thousand dollars. Yes. Uh-huh. Retail. Yeah. Right. You could you you could you could go over to my my friends at uh, Ageless Innovation, which was a spinoff from Hasbro, um, 
And uh, Ted Fisher's the, uh, the, the, the founder had been a senior exec at Hasbro and uh, is the founder and, and CEO. And they have cats and dogs for a hundred bucks. And um, particularly for use with people who have Alzheimer's and those robots have all also, I mean, you know, what, what is fascinating is that everybody's realizing they need to do the studies to demonstrate some level of efficacy. Right. And the studies are being done. And so they're testing, will this reduce loneliness and isolation? Will this, for somebody, let's say, who has Lewy body and is aggressive, uh, you know, has an aggressive form of Alzheimer's, does it calm them down? Uh, does it, uh, you know, um, I'm an advisor at a company called Mencia, which has, creates a uh, dementia-friendly virtual world, which has been shown to, you know, on a short-term basis, take somebody who hadn't been talking and all of a sudden they're talking right. or somebody that never sang and all of a sudden they're singing, you well, know, how long these changes last is, is another question. Right. Well, that, but these are real benefits, right? These are, that's like um, music and memory or now uh, Dan Cohn, which he, he now is a foreign right to music. And I just last week on the podcast interviewed Gordon Anderson from the UK who developed an app that is, a, it's called Memory Tracks. And what this app is, which is very interesting, they developed particular songs around activities of daily living so that this created a calm, this created a, a, uh, a more favorable interaction for a caregiver and also you know, a way of engagement for that person who sometimes maybe is, is fearful, maybe is not so engaged, maybe it has a tendency to respond in a more aggressive fashion. And it's really a, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic app. It's called Memory Tracks. Well, I think, I think, you know, music has demonstrated that it soothes the soul. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and you can get warm, warm fuzzies uh, when you hear that song that, you know, takes you back to, uh, you know, memories that that are wonderful in your life, um, whatever they may be. Well, and, and even if it's not that I have said many times that especially as a speech pathologist, you're working with people who cannot speak but yet they can say the Lord's Prayer or sing the Star Spangled Banner, whatever it is that, that has been embedded in their mind, right? Amazing Grace, whatever it is. Um, so um, because people, when they, they can't talk, but sometimes can, let's say, sing those or say those, but they could also say the days of the week, the months of the year. It's an automatic function in the brain, right? Because it, it's you know, it's, it's kind of, it's automated. It really is. So how many times, well, you're obviously a music aficionado. I was brought up on classical music, but I obviously developed a, a love. <laughs> I of was music. too. I, I stupidly rejected it. <laughs> I had to come back to it <laughs> once I matured. <laughs> so, but I say that if there are times when somebody told you the name of a song, you might not be able to say the entire, say the words, you might know part of them. But once you hear the music, 
it will carry you through. And before you know it, you've sung the entire song. And this is the same for people who have Alzheimer's and, you know, advanced stages of memory loss, dementia, whatever kind it is. Yeah. And that, that's why it's so powerful. It's and so and powerful. here, here too, in, in the quote longevity economy, we're starting to see, you know, startup companies that are, that are doing these things, you know, um, it's it's really uh, you know quite exciting. So so for, from my perspective, the some of the frustration is that more people need to know about this. You know how many people make up the longevity economy? That's an interesting question. And how many people know about all of this? My belief is that not as many as should. What do you think? I mean, you may know the data better. Well, it. Well, I think I think it's uh, twofold. It it's on the one and 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 there's a dialectic, Hegelian or Marxian, but there's a dialectic here in that you have two contradictory things going on at at, at the same time. So you you have group you have people that that simply aren't aware of it, but at the same time you have cultural uh, behaviors that actually are an obstacle to them Correct. seeing it. Right. And, and so those two things actually uh, are unfortunately negatively self-reinforcing. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and so uh, there's probably a chicken and egg thing. To me, you know, why did I focus on um, when I started this work why did I focus on innovation, startups, and, um, and, and venture investors, as opposed to focus on policy people and you know, more of the traditional folks? It was because when I showed numbers to the marketplace players, they 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 reacted right they got it they didn't understand all the nuances uh so for example uh you know um you know i always said that you know aging in place technology for example you know all sorts of uh, uh sensors that you know support different types of devices you know the, the, the classic case of these companies was we're going to sell to the boomer child, right? Because they're guilt ridden and they want to make sure their parents are okay and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, because I was, am in the world of aging, uh, as well as just, you know, I believe in markets of one, look in the mirror and, and try <laughs> to understand, you know, dynamics that, you know, cold, right? right? So, it, you know, I, I, on stage, I used to, you know, joke only half, only half jokingly, you know, I would say, well, you know, I and my brother, you know, we might agree to spend whatever we can on whatever technology will increase the safety, first and foremost, of our, our mother and previously our mom and dad. Um, and your, your value proposition to me is legitimate, can legitimately be all about my guilt as a, as a boomer <laughs> child. Right. Right. That's, that, that's fine from a business standpoint that sells. 
people will do it. It's, it's like, you know, the equivalent of, you know, not exercising, but taking a pill. You'll do right. it because it's the easy thing to do. You'll spend right. money. The problem is, is that if you go to try and um, uh, 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 put that equipment into my mother's uh, apartment and you go to her and you say, Harriet, you know, Jody and Jack, they bought this for you. They, they were feeling so guilty. They were so worried about your health and your safety. And they spent lots and lots of money uh, so that they don't feel so guilty, blah, blah, blah. You know, my mother, my joke used to be a uh, good working class Jewish girl from the Bronx. She'd give you two middle fingers and tell you to go, you know, yourself. Oh. And uh, and with the with the follow on, what have you done for me lately? Right. And 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 so if you want to get across her threshold, physical threshold of, of her apartment, well, you better have a different value proposition for right. her. You better have a different conversation that marketing 101 tells you understand your customer. Right. And my mom in that scenario, she may not be the paying customer. But she is no less a customer. Correct. And, and, and your customer satisfaction scores are going to be driven as much by her experience as by mine. So you have to ha understand her reality. What are her goals? What is she feeling? How does this technology impact her? And how does she interact with it? In addition, to me, my brother, whomever, who's going to pay for it. And entrepreneurs did not get this. They understood there's lots of money to be made potentially, but they right. didn't understand the nuances. Right. And they didn't understand how does my mother view happiness? Right. What are my mother's dreams? Correct. What is my mother's reality having early Alzheimer's and being aware her world is changing and her abilities are changing, but she is very much aware of these changes and it frustrates the hell out of her. And how might the conversation about these technologies be, Harriet, we can't reverse things, but we do think these things can give you a little more freedom. Right. a little more control. What are the things people fear losing? It's control over their life. Correct. Correct. And so, and so have a conversation about little things that can be done. Okay, it can't be reversed completely, but there are little things that can be done that give people more control, more freedom, and more agency. So what I tell people is they should plan by choice and not by crisis, because inevitably there is some change that's going to take place. It doesn't matter what that is. It doesn't have to be Alzheimer's. It could be a fall. It could be a heart attack. It could be anything. But why not start to have these conversations beforehand rather than wait until that time when there's the frustration and now maybe you can't envision it or imagine it, but start to explore the possibilities at an earlier stage. And when you talk about customer satisfaction, it's so interesting because, you know, what I say is the the buzzword in, in like the nursing home industry is um, um, not customer satisfaction, although it is changing. It's like customer service. 
And I kept saying, I, I've said for years, it's really not cut. It's not just about service. It's about the end user. So it's not about say, making sure you say please and thank you and excuse me and all of those niceties. That's not it. It's about what is the experience that the end user is having and are they satisfied in this environment? But some people have made the shift. Some people don't really still get that. And by the way, what about the employee's satisfaction level? And how are you addressing that? So to me, it's all about leadership and how you're really thinking about satisfaction in a, you know, in a gestalt, really, not just yeah. about your end user. Yeah. Well, that book was written in the late 90s by three professors at Harvard, and it's called The Service Profit Chain. And the premise of it is that if you take care of your customers and your people, you will have superior profitability. Absolutely. And, and uh, what I always say is that um, if you do the right thing, the people will come, you know, build it and they will come. Um, yeah, I saw the movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> Me too. But anyway, listen. I, and, I, and I saw the game last week. I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> This has just been absolutely fantastic. So thanks so much. And um, I mean, Thank it's you. been enlightening. Just the three conversations we've had over the last week have been just so enlightening. And I, I'm sure for the listeners, it is as well. And I can't wait for, you know, maybe down the road for us to continue this conversation because you bring so much to the table uh, that it's, it's, it's just a, a wealth of knowledge that people really need to have about what's really happening and how to think about all of this and how to embrace it and to think differently, I would say, about all of this, this entire sphere. There, so, there's a need to, to, for the current orientation uh, to be turned on its head. Absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe you and I can figure out a way to do that, although you're already kind of doing it, but maybe I can kind of I don't know, maybe there's a chink in there someplace, a little crack in the, in, in the, there's a little space where I could kind of like, I don't know, wiggle myself in. I don't know. We'll see. I'll look forward to it. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much. And um, so please join us on next time, next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm Phyllis Amon signing off for today. And please remember to like, click and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.